0: Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall, and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week the intro to the podcast is a little bit different. I've been thinking for a while that I'd like to ride clip pedals again to see if there are benefits to be had on the gravity-based side of things. I know that there are a few races who are incredible on flat pedals, but most of the field are on clips, so there must be something good to be had. The choice of which clip pedal I wanted to try was obvious to me, and that was the Crank Brothers Mallet DH. It's not only the choice of a huge number of the top pro riders, but they also have an easy release cleat option, which really appealed to me, having not ridden clips since I was 15 and feeling pretty nervous about getting back on them. They also have loads of different setup options so you can really tune them to how you want them to feel. And that includes multiple different cleat float and release options, adjustable pedal pin height and different traction pad options to tune the contact with the shoe. The Mallet DH is the largest platform, but they also do a Mallet E, which is a little bit smaller. And in the Mallet E, you have two different spindle length options to choose from. So, if you want a narrower or a wider Q factor, pick your pedal. All this gives me the confidence that I should be able to get it set up to feel right for me. So, I got in touch with Crank Brothers, and they were not only happy to get involved with my clip pedal experiment, but they're also going to support some episodes of the show and give away some clip pedals to three lucky listeners, along with their new M20 multi tool to install them with. Can't say fairer than that so over the next couple of weeks in the intro to the shows i'll be telling you about my experience so far with getting set up on the pedals my initial ride testing and my thoughts on the benefits of riding clipped in for now, head over to crankbrothers.com and check out what they have to offer. And if you want to be in with a chance of winning your own set of Crankbrothers clipping pedals and their new M20 multi-tool, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash crankbrothers, and that'll take you to their competition entry form. Super easy to fill in. You've also got a chance to join their newsletter while you're there, and you've got until the 31st of October to get that done. All right, the temperature's dropped here in the UK, but don't worry, I've updated my web store with some lovely sweatshirts and hoodies. They're super cosy, 100% organic, printed to order and shipped with no single-use plastic. To get your hands on one, just head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop now. There's also the four different t-shirt designs to choose from too. Don't forget to make sure you subscribe to the show. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. It's really easy to do with buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. While you're on that page, you can also join my newsletter for a weekly dose of interest in bike related stuff, competitions and products that I've been enjoying. Also, if you've got time to give the podcast a quick review over on iTunes, and that's massively appreciated as it helps others find the show. OK, this week's episode is also supported by Specialized, and I was very lucky to get a sneak peek at their brand new Stumpjumper Evo, which is actually embargoed until later today. Join me for a chat with their full suspension gravity product manager Steve Seletnik and their top engineer Brian Robson. We're going to find out what actually goes into a bike like this and I have to say I was pretty blown away by the amount of detail that the team have gone into. We cover the background research that takes place way ahead of the project starting the kinematic design and how the shock tune interacts with that. We delve into mullet bikes, their approach to sizing, the input from other projects like the demo and the enduro and the learnings from Loic and their team and much, much more. So without further ado, here's Steve and Brian. Steve Seletnik and Brian Robson, welcome to the Downtime
1: Podcast and Steve, we'll start off with you. How's things? Oh, it's great. I've been spending the week here in Keystone, Colorado, doing some biking and uh, having a nice time trying to, trying to breathe in the altitude.
0: <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Tell us first off then just uh, like a little bit about your job title and, and what that means you do at Specialized.
1: Sure. Yeah, I'm super lucky. Um, I guess my job title here is uh, product manager for all the full suspension trail and gravity bikes. Uh, and what that means is really that I get to work with a bunch of awesome talented people that specialized from engineering to design to color and graphics, sales, marketing, uh, and then most importantly riders and retailers. So getting out and traveling around and, and really talking to people, see how they're using their bikes, see what's lacking and, and really try to come up with come up with what's next and try to shape the bikes in a cool way.
0: Nice. So you kind of oversee all of the activity on a on a on a range of models, I guess. Is that is that fair?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a huge team and there, there's like a, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of folks that's that help out with all these bikes, of course. Um, but yeah, they're, they're uh, ultimately kind of my, my charge to get them specced out and priced out properly and and hopefully riding really nice for, for the people out there.
0: Nice. And what about you, Brian? Uh, how's things with you and, and yeah, tell us a little bit about
2: your role within Specialized. Yeah, things are great. We've been, um, enjoying, uh, some fresh, fresh air the last week, we were able to get some some nice rides in and it's been uh, pretty good around here. We're um, always having fun, uh, always working and got kids and family in the house right now. So <laughs> we're all uh, enjoying a tight space together, but it's been good being <laughs> close to the family with COVID and everything. And um, yeah, so I'm a, a senior um, frame engineer. Um, my background is mechanical engineering and uh, i've been on pretty much every type of mountain bike project uh at specialized over the last eight years and currently uh, my, my role just changed to ride dynamics so i'm going to be more in the front end of uh handling um, kinematics and kind of advanced ideas so that's a pretty exciting uh, job change for me uh the Projects that I've been on uh, as of late are demo the, the new layout uh, that was a huge project and, and a lot of excitement uh, around working with Loic and everything and of course uh, this new Jumper Evo was a very exciting bike to work with Steve and I worked really closely with uh, the PMs Steve and I had a, a lot of a lot of trips to the hills to ride and to test and a lot of brainstorming and yeah nice and I've been told that I must ask
0: you about your nickname.
2: Yeah, so Rob Tech goes way back to college, uh, which is, uh, geez, I don't can't even count now. I think eleven years ago, and in in college, there's a, a class that you can take, and it's it's a single track vehicle design, and we're pretty fortunate uh, at at Cal Poly uh, down here in San Luis Obispo to uh, take a class that uh, teaches you how to design a stable bike and build one, and most okay. of the class. Took a beach cruiser and and cut off the head tube and rewelded it and modified and made some goofy looking bikes. But I saw that as an opportunity to make a, a downhill bike, so I, I took the challenge on and uh, made a, a single pivot uh, with an idler chain, a uh, idler cog, and with a rearward axle path and a little linkage that drives the shock. And that bike, one of my friends uh, said, "Hey, you should call that the Rob Tech." And he printed some stickers and stuck it on it. So that bike's been around the office, and I bring it in every once in a while when when we're doing testing with Axlepath or something, and uh, people ride it around, and the name just stuck. And actually, I think I think Brad Benedict was the first one to to start using it, and uh, ever it just kind of stuck. So people don't even know me as Brian anymore. I get called Rob Tech, and new interns come (laughs) in sometimes they call me Rob, and I'm like, no, no, (laughs) it's Rob Tech or Brian, but it's pretty (laughs) funny excellent
0: how does that ride then the downhill bike that you made
2: yeah it rides great it's um i i just updated it uh let's see about two years ago to, and it went from 26 inch wheels to 27.5 luckily i already had the clearance in it I put a new fork on it and uh it's great the geo's a, a little outdated uh the, the reach is like 420 or something but yeah. it's um it's a fun bike to ride and, and through rock gardens it's it's incredible how much it just it just absorbs those big, big uh, impacts of square inch hits. Awesome. Oh, you'll have to send me a picture of it at some point.
0: I'd be interested to see it.
2: Yeah, for sure. Awesome.
0: All right. Well, we're here um, to talk about the brand new Stump Jumper Evo. Um, and so, yeah, I guess to get going on that, I'm interested to know how a project like this gets started. Um, maybe, Steve, are you the right person to kind of start filling us in on, on where you start with something like that?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the info we have right is coming from our, our prior bike. So we're riding like the prior version of this bike for for years, right before this thing even launches. So we've got a lot of kind of uh, historical input from our team internally, and and then retailers and riders alike once once that bike goes live, and really, you know. Even before the bike goes live, we probably already have a laundry list of things that we want to change or tweak, right? Like all these bikes when they come out, they're really just a, a snapshot of where we're at in the development process, right? Because at a certain point, you just need to kind of cut and run with with where you're at to actually make a real commercial product. So um, a lot of it comes from from that and the inputs that we we hear about from our from our retailers and riders. That's super important to us at Specialized, right? Like there's the high level athlete inputs which are great, but but really getting out and understanding what what real people are after in a bike kind of helps shape what we do next.
0: Yeah, so who uh, yeah, how do you go about getting that information? Who are you talking to and how do you pull that all together because everyone generally everyone wants something slightly different,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So as part of my job really when when traveling was a thing, uh, I was traveling I was traveling a, a massive amount so uh, and and most of the PMs at at specialized do the same. So we're constantly getting on planes and going around the world, going to events, going to races, uh, checking out demos, talking to our, our people in the field that are that are getting people out on bikes and and talking to retailers and, and trying to synthesize this kind of feedback that we see. And and really that's helping kind of shape shape the vision for the for the bike. That's that's ultimately what we're what we're talking about today.
0: Yeah. So that is that just an ongoing thing then for you? Like you've you've always got what you feel is an up to date feel for what the market wants
1: right or, yeah or do you I'm, go
0: out and do a specific piece of work for the new stump jumper evo for example
1: yeah there there's it, it's it's really ongoing right like it's my job basically at, as the as the product manager to really understand what's going on in the world so yeah the, i'm focused on trail so that's great so i have a pretty already narrow scope of what's going on but Uh, that's that's really like an ongoing thing so even even in even COVID times you know we're setting up zoom calls with retailers when they have time uh which is not often these days because they're so slammed Um, but so yeah we're just trying to keep up and we have a nice little network of of retailers and and riders around the world that we we can tap into at any time to just really see what's going on
0: yeah but i mean every project takes a period of time so i'm guessing there's a, a fair chunk of time between deciding what you want to achieve with the bike to that bike actually going to market and it'd be interesting to get a feel for how long that is for you guys on a project like this but how do you take what you know at the point at which you start the project and then decide how things are going to change in the time it takes you to do the project so that when you bring the product out it's not kind of already outdated i guess
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one. We, we talk a lot internally about like crystal ball, right? Like, uh, and a lot of it is, is crystal ball, but I think you can start as you, as you really interact with a lot of people and, and, and take a look at their setups and talk to them, you can start to pick up little, little chunks and little nuggets along the way that, that really point to what people might be missing or they, they, they need, but they don't even really know how to tell you that they, they need it quite yet. So that's the type of stuff that, that we're, that we're doing. And then you can pick up on as a, as a product manager as as you're really just involved with more and more riders
0: and do you do much benchmarking of the competition as well
1: yeah absolutely uh we, de- we definitely do we're we're always riding different things i mean you want to be aware of what's going on you don't want to be paralyzed by by what everyone else is doing but you definitely want to be aware of, of of what's going on in the market like when we start a new project we're definitely going to get out there and and take stock of of where the competitors are at for sure
0: and, it, and is that just kind of going out and riding them or does it get into a lot more detail than that?
1: It, it really depends on the project, like on, on some projects it can be, it can be very, very thorough and deep analysis and on others, it can be as, as simple as, you know, just getting out to some, some different shops and, and demoing some bikes to kind of get a feel for where we're at. But, but yeah, like on some projects I've worked on, with Brian, we've, we've gone, we've gone mega deep on competitor bikes and, and really tried to, to see what's going on out there, but yeah, it, it just all varies
0: yeah and when you say mega deep like what sort of stuff would you be getting into rather than you know how far beyond just riding them do you go
1: oh even like you know we've done stuff like you know controlled course you know time time runs and anything and everything like you know taking a look brian can get in in deep and and take a look at the kinematics so we can start to see see different trends that we like or traits that we like that we want to investigate you know you can you can always pick up a a cool nugget because really you know all the bikes out there are so good right now it's like you can always you can always learn something from from a competitor bike which is cool
0: yeah fair play so you've you've obviously got this really clear picture of what's going on in the world and in the market how do you then bring that to the team and sit together and work out okay what uh, what's the scope for this bike what do we want to achieve i'm guessing there's a whiteboard involved at some point
1: <laughs> totally uh well yeah really like a lot of our our projects start with like a you know a charter we're trying to look at you know the riders that we're trying to serve and then then the bike kind of the project kind of breaks out off of that right so in this case we're looking you know we're looking to make a a super capable trail bike so we start to look at hey like what are the riders we want to serve who aren't we serving with the prior bike um and then you know we we start to bake, basically make this big document where we're we're going through and and checking off all the boxes and basically all the you know all the carbon fiber parts we need to make and you know we're, we're taking a look at all the shocks and all the different clearances so so when brian starts laying this thing out he knows hey like you know we we need to be compatible with you know these types of brakes and shocks and and whatever else and and that's like that's a massive chunk of work that that he needs to do to to start the project. So as, as detailed as we can get it up front, the easier it is for him to to start getting after it. Yeah,
0: yeah, Brian, tell us a, a little bit about that side of things. Then, so I mean, I guess one of the first things with a bike is how much travel it has because that kind of places it uh, within your range and then in within people's minds, I guess. How how did you end up deciding that this should be a a 160 front 150 rear travel bike
2: yeah going um going way way back to to the very very beginning concept phase of this of this project uh steve and i just had had the discussion and started talking and again um steve's steve's big uh job is to and we have buzzwords internally at specialized but seek to understand that's his like that's his big role is seek to understand and writer first. That's the, those two, two big elements are what what his job is. And I totally trust him when he comes to the table and says, "Hey, I think this is what the writer wants. This is what what we need to make to to serve the writer." And and I believe I understand what they need. And once he once he has that information, um, it makes it really easy for me to just say, "Okay, we're doing." Or doing this bike and and steve came to the table with a 150 um 160 travel bike and and we wanted a really capable bike uh, an all-day machine that can that can basically ride anywhere you want um the, the enduro had just stepped up to 170 so it made sense for this bike to to be um more a little more capable than it was before so we definitely we definitely pushed the limits on on all of the kinematics and frame design, um, the linkage, everything, we just beefed it up a little bit and um, we made sure we can pass an even higher test standard in the test lab. So, so from the beginning, we we knew that we wanted a bike that was a little bit more than what we had before. And, and when Steve came to me with that, um, I just ran with it and, and we had, I mean, we would talk our chairs were like, basically back to back. And we would just talk in the office, back and forth uh, for hours about what we were going to do and how we were going to achieve these, these initial goals. And, and when Steve starts out on a project, he hands me um, a brief that has, has what he wants to see out of the bike. And then I take that brief and I make my own engineering brief out of that. And, and I add my elements that I want to see out of the bike. And then we kind of negotiate if you will back and forth on on what we can do uh to just optimize this bike so so that's how we work and uh it's it's a lot of back and forth a lot of hours uh discussing and again making sure that we have all of the potential components that we can spec so we have all of the proper clearances and and it's really optimized around around all the components we put on the bike too
0: yeah. Can you give an example of some of the things that might have been written on your kind of engineering spec then? What sort of stuff is included
2: in something like that? Yeah. So some of the things we talk about uh, are like internal cable routing. How much, how much do we want to be internal? Do we want any external? Uh, what does that look like? How much SWAT volume does Steve want? How does that tie in to the stiffness of the bike? Uh, as the tubes get bigger, we can make thinner walls. On the tubes which saves weight and increases stiffness um but you you get up against a wall uh, where your carbon can be too thin and and then it won't be robust if you hit a rock or something so we go back and forth and it's like i you know we can we can go up bigger 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 but at some point um there's diminishing returns on on our goals so it's it's always keeping in mind our goals and it's pretty the briefs really clear we have three or four priorities and they're kind of vague but but the first one is going to be, um, for instance, speed on a race bike. That's going to be, we need to make this bike fast. And second one might be comfort or something. And we go through and have these priorities and it always loops back to um, tying what we're working on, the specific engineering task on the bike or or the, the item that we want to add. We have to make sure that that loops back and feeds into those priorities and and uh, some of the, the things like cable routing, that's, it's a royal, a royal pain uh, <laughs> to have to figure out how to run all of these cables internally around all of the pivots without any compromises to the, the life of the cable or um, the frame structure. Um, so it's a big challenge. And, and it's those little details um, from the front to the back of the bike that, that we really put a lot of effort into. Uh, the head tube angle adjust. Um, you know, that's a really big, uh, feature that we added that we have never done before. So we go back and forth and and Steve, sometimes I'll, I'll fight him on it a little bit and say, Hey, this is going to add weight. This isn't going to work. And he'll fight back and say, come on, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> then I put my head back down, down to the, to the paper, or I just start drawing the whiteboard <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, we solve the problem and and move forward. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a nice team. It's, you almost forget that you're at a big company um, when it's a tight little group like this. And we, we work close together. Uh, we go on, on trips together and do testing. Um, you know, we've worked with athletes together. We've, you know, working together with Steve on demo, um, really helped establish, uh, Kind of what we wanted on this bike too, because we did that bike together. Awesome. And you, you've
0: the, the, kind of the silhouette of the bike looks relatively similar, I guess, but you've made some changes to the kinematics of the bike. Can you explain a little bit about what you've done there and why?
2: Yeah. So the previous previous gen stump jumper was a great bike for sure, but we knew when we did the Evo bike, um, brad kind of just threw that out there it, it was pushing limits on the geometry and and we knew that that there were uh improvements we could make and a lot of that's based on on rider feedback and that's where you know steve pulls from all the different shops and dealers and and online and everything and and seeks to understand what exactly that rider needs so it's, it's that writer that we really wanted to make sure um that we could achieve that so what that rider really wanted, um, was almost like a trail version of uh, demo or endu- enduro. So like just trickle it down and they wanted a bike that had a little bit more rearward axle path was a little more progressive. So they didn't have the, the bottom out, uh, incidences and, and that really led us to, to fine tune the kinematic, um, and take all of the learnings from demo and enduro. The successes of enduro and trickle it down in in a little shorter travel package a little bit lighter and and still be able to have that that bike that you can climb all day without the 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 climb switch on that's one of the great things going with a a higher um anti-squat is is you are able to climb this bike over rough terrain uh without your climb switch
0: are there there trade-offs to adding more anti-squat like there must be a point at which too much anti-squat is a bad thing
2: yeah, for sure, um, and that's you know when when we set out um, and, and start this testing, um, we tried we we went over with anti squat, and if you go too if you go too far on anti squat, um, the bike wants to uh, stink bug we call it. It's it's like those those beetles that stand up you know tall, and when you pedal if the bike is lifting, and when you stop pedaling the bike drops, and and that's. That's that that bob that you would feel just as if you had no anti-squat. So when you have no anti-squat, uh, every pedal stroke, every time you accelerate the bike forward, the suspension wants to compress. And and that's due to your your center of gravity wanting to stay where it's at, and you're pushing the bike underneath it. So it, it's the, just the, the exact opposite. Instead of dropping every time you pedal, your bike would lift every time you pedal. So that would be one one negative um, characteristic that you'd encounter with a bike that has uh, way too much anti-squat.
0: Okay, yeah. So that's one of the things like that you've been able to do to make the bike climb well. Am I right in thinking you've kind of focused on maintaining cockpit length and whilst lengthening the bike um, and then change the seat angle to kind of help that overall
2: package, but also to help the climbing performance? Exactly the the climbing performance on this bike was uh, was critical. Um, you know, I have I have kids and everything, and, and I'm I'm not in, in the shape that Steve is in. Steve Steve's able to ride uh, more than I am, and, and he he just loves to do those mega rides. And I just don't have that time. So for me, coming into this, <laughs> I was going to squeeze out uh, every bit of juice that I could to help this bike climb, and because <laughs> I need it to be honest. So, um, I really wanted to get, um, the, the geometry dial so that you don't have to ride up on the front of your seat. Like a, a, a lot of people end up doing in steep sections. Um, so that you can, you can focus your energy just on paddling and not trying to shift your body around to maintain, um, a balanced, uh, force on the front and the rear wheels. So for sure, that was a huge, a huge, um, goal of mine was to get this bike to climb better than people would think.
0: Yeah. So you're, you're increasing the length of the front center from a stability perspective, is that right? But you want to maintain the climbing performance and also that saddle to handlebar kind of dimension.
2: Cause that's a, that's a comfort and an ergonomic thing. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, that that's correct. When, when you increase the reach and and the, the trends, the trends are, are real for a reason, uh, a bike with a longer reach is more stable downhill. Uh, it tracks straighter. Uh, it's, it's not going to glance around as much. Uh, of course there's a limit. You have to, you have to be able to, to reach the handlebars. Um, but the, with the longer reach, uh, trend and what we've done is as you boost the reach, you need to, you need to move the seat with it and, and to maintain that cockpit length, just like you said, so that when you're climbing, um, it doesn't feel like a long bike when you're climbing, your weight is more over the front wheel, which, which helps with, uh, Tight switchbacks um traditionally if the seat stayed in the same spot you'd be so far off the back from the front wheel that going around a switchback that front wheel would feel so far out in front of you that it would be hard to uh maneuver and keep keep traction and you lose you lose control ultimately on a climb
0: got yeah got okay one other thing i want to talk about on the sort of i guess the, the kinematic side of things is suspension tune. Cause I think it's something that's basically invisible to people when they're buying a bike, but it can make a huge difference in your ability to get the bike set up in the kind of optimum way. Um, you know, every rock shock shock or every Fox shock, they're not equal, right? They're different and they're specific in, in a lot of instances to the bike. How have you approached that in the, in the context of the new stump jumper Evo?
2: Yeah, is from I can speak speak to the the engineering part and the shock tuning part is um, up up front. Um, we have a pretty good idea of what what shock we want to spec, and that's really important when you're designing uh, a kinematic and a frame because the the shock curve or the spring curve and damping curve those really feed into how we design the the kinematic of the bike. Leverage ratio um, is very tightly connected, and if we combine the properties of the shock with the the frame kinematic we end up with what we call wheel rate and that's that's the relationship of those two um, variables connected and we can measure that um, at the wheel and that's really what gives the rider an active suspension um, that moves when you want it to move and um, doesn't bottom out and that's really, that relationship is, is critical. So we work really closely um, with the shock, shock tuner, uh, Chance, our, our, our internal guy. And from the beginning, we have a couple shocks and, and, and Steve wants to spec these, uh, a few different shocks. So, so he's done the research and he comes to the table with what we want to run. Chance takes those shocks to the dyno. We dyno him um, and he gets all of the data he needs To suggest a kinematic a leverage ratio for me to tune around. So then he once he gets that suggestion to me, I can work that into the bike, then we're able to to get a kinematic that um, Supports the rider uh, in the way that they need. So one of these goals initially was to reduce the volume spacers required to get Mm -hmm. this bike um, to, to have proper sag and not bottom out. So we made it a little bit more progressive based on the specifics of the shock and shock tune so that we could, um, have a a wider range for the rider of shock tuning. They can add volume spacers and they can remove, remove volume spacers. Got
0: it. And so does the, the tune of the shock change for this with the size of the bike, or is it a consistent tune across the range?
2: The, the rebound tune, um, Chance found that he needed to change the rebound tune for for the different size bikes. The compression tune, we have enough adjustability just in in the knobs. So for sure, the, the different size riders will want to adjust that, but there's enough range in, in the shock for them to be able to do that. So we didn't need to do a different shock tune for compression, just rebound. Got you. Okay, interesting.
0: I'd li- like to hear a bit about the... The prototype stage of the project i don't know who's best to to pick that up but kind of interested to know how long that goes on for what how many different prototypes you might go through in a project like this what sort of things you're testing and then and who and who's doing that testing as well
1: yeah i think i can touch a little bit on this up front especially for this project something that was really cool was that we we started in very very early with you know alloy kinematic mules so we were testing a bunch of different theories and stuff that we wanted to check out like Brian mentioned you know on this bike we wanted more uh, comfort and bump absorption and we had some different ways to attack that with you know alloy mules or different linkages that we could we could run and, and do some back to back testing with and a lot of that early development was super key especially with these alloy bikes it helps us once we once we settle in on a range that we like it, it helps us start that upfront process. Brian's talking about the RX tune process so that we can actually have a, we can have an alloy bike that's indicative of the kinematic we want. And that'll help chance be able to get ahead of starting to tune this thing. We spent, I mean, we spent almost two years tuning these shocks for the specific kinematic that we had because of all that upfront work we did. Whoa.
0: Huge amount of time then
1: yeah it's this this one was this one was extremely next level on shock tuning The, the team the team crushed it we we traveled around you know the the north america region basically for for almost two years testing this bike in in a variety of conditions and and just being able to go back to those same locations again and again as as we progressed through the project was really cool starting from starting from basically like a uh you know we we call it like you know just like the the tubes that we can find laying around that will make the, the geo and the kinematic we want all the way up to, uh, you know, tune in carbon fiber layup on the, on the, on the real deal bikes out of the tools.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yes. Impressive amount of work that goes into it. And is the ride testing, it's all you guys, it's all the, it's all of the team or do you bring other people on board?
1: As we go through the project, we definitely bring people on board, but the, the crew we have internally on the mountain bike team is, is pretty awesome. We have, a huge range of riders. So, you know, we've got a Brad Benedict, who's a ex world cup racer that can pick up, you know, the smallest little detail, you know, down to, down to, you know, rebound tune stuff on shocks. He can, he can feel that stuff when he's riding and it's, it's pretty impressive. And he's riding, you know, pretty much at the highest level, you can ride all the way down to, you know, someone like myself, that's just, you know, an average, an average rider. So we have a really nice internal team. That's, we've got a really good wide spread. Of of riders that we can that we can draw on internally, and then as we progress through the project, we're bringing in you know trusted trusted riders, athletes, that type of thing, to really kind of help range find where we're at, make sure we're on the right path.
0: So this bike is uh is one of the most, if not the most, adjustable trail bike I can think of, and you've got three positions I think for head tube uh, angle, and then uh, two positions for like a high low on the, the horse link. Was that always part of the scope of the project from the very start? Or is this something that you've had been playing around with as you've gone along and decided it would be, you know, a good thing to add to the product.
1: This was, this came pretty much directly from traveling around and talking to people around the world that like to ride trail bikes and going to different races and just seeing different terrain and, and what was happening in the world and, I did, I did a bunch of, uh, bunch of traveling and it was, it was funny talking to riders from all over the world. And more than a couple of times people came to chat with me and they had a spreadsheet on their computer, like a detailed spreadsheet about their, their preferred geometry, right? Like, Hey, like when a, when a new bike comes out, I can like put the, put the geo in my spreadsheet and see if like, if it jives with what I think is cool for my area <laughs> and like, and, and then they'd, they'd make their decision to test ride the bike, you know, based on that. And, and that blew me away. Like that, that literally happened like a handful of times and it just got us thinking like, Hey, like this bike's going to get ridden around the world in a, in a ton of different terrains. So we really need to make it adaptable because the perfect geometry for, you know, every rider is going to be different depending on where they're at and what they like to do. And, and we, we, we know that's super important to riders. So that's what we wanted to bring to the table with this bike.
0: Yeah. What's the, what's the range on those adjustments?
1: Yeah. So you've got basically two and a half, uh, degrees of head tube angle adjust throughout the range. So you can get it all the way down to 63 and then, then up steepened up to about 65 and a half. and your BB height, you can get it ground scrapingly low at like 331 and then up to, uh, you know, 342 for the folks that are riding in, you know, rockier terrain
0: yeah and have you guys i mean you've obviously tried it in all those different setups so it gives you six different options of setting the bike up how much difference does it make in the way the bike feels to ride
1: as as far as as far as the geo goes it it's 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 pretty drastic right like the trails we ride at home in santa cruz are are quite steep and there's not a rock to be found um so <laughs> riding that stuff, you know, with the, with the slack low setup is great and, and it feels really stable and awesome. And then you go to a place like Pisgah in North Carolina, where we did a, a lot of testing as well, where it's relatively low angle and very, very rocky and rooty. And, and that setup's just not going to work out there for you. You're going to be bashing your pedals everywhere. And then being able to get that thing up into the steeper and high positions, it, it makes a huge, huge difference. It's, it's pretty instantly noticeable.
0: Yeah. Do you, and how do you intend to kind of communicate to customers how they will approach getting the bike set up because i guess the risk with adding adjustability in is there's more ways for people to kind of pull their bike away from the optimum setup it's the same with suspension i space.
1: yeah for sure so on the on the geo side what's what's cool is that we really work hard to make sure that all of our settings are usable settings right we don't want to we don't want to give riders the the opportunity to ball themselves up and put them in a bad spot um mm-hmm. but as far as a guide right we've got a, we've got a really cool web tool that'll be launching with the bike so you know for the savvier riders that that know their geo and they they want to just see what what it's going to be in in the lowest slackest setting because they know that's what they're going to ride uh, they can plug in the plug in the the inputs and it'll spit out the geo so they can check it out and then for for riders that are maybe just getting into it and need a good starting point, you can kind of choose by your terrain and kind of see, you know, what our suggested optimum setup is for your your basic terrain and get a nice starting point and go from there.
0: Yeah, cool. And uh, from your side of things, then, Brian, does that give you a bit of a headache when they, they tell you that they want a load of adjustability put into the bike? There's some engineering involved there. Yeah.
2: Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> Generate generating all of the the geo charts and making sure that every configuration um, worked well together. You know, when you're changing head tube angle, you have to check clearances in all the different positions uh, with a fork crown clearance to down tube. And there's and just just generating uh, an accurate geo set uh, for Steve, these six different geo sets for six different uh frame sizes that's 36 geo sets that i had to meticulously go through and check and double check and triple check and then i'd send him to steve and say hey look over this geo does this all make sense and then he'd kick it back and and say hey are you are you sure that you know the chainstay length isn't affected and then i'd come back and oh that's right that is a slight a slightly different so then we can make make all these fine fine tune adjustments to to the the geo and and just to make sure that that we're uh, portraying an an actual measurement that's the other thing too is is when you when you manufacture a bike you start off with a 2d drawing and you have uh tolerances and you you give it to the supplier and they start making the the bike for you and something something that's critical is that we double check this after the bike comes back so we we have a geo fixture and, and we check check the geo uh, of the bike and all of the kinematic uh hard points the, the link attachment points to make sure that uh what we're getting is, is what we're uh what we design and we want to make sure that when we when we provide this geo that we're accurate and that it's exactly what the riders riding yeah and does it
0: change the kinematics sl- like slightly as well when you change some of those adjustments
2: yeah it does ever so slightly um the the axle path will change, you know, a couple millimeters. Um, everything changes just a little bit, and of course, you know, we wanted to make sure that we vetted that out uh, with the shock tune. So Chance uh, working the RX tune made sure that each one of those different uh, geometry settings um, that, that he understood it and and wrote it with the shock tune in all the different settings and um, dynoed the the shocks and. Sure enough, it, it was pretty close to the same. Um, the, the horse pivot flip flip chip, uh, adjustment doesn't affect the kinematic and okay. also going to the other link. Um, when I designed that link, I I made it so that it doesn't also doesn't affect the kinematic.
0: Yeah, so when you say the other link, are you talking about a, a mullet version of the bike?
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Go on, give us your thoughts on, on mixed wheel size bikes. Then why have you decided to put one in the range?
1: yeah for, for mixed wheel stuff i think from from starting to work with demo you know we were in Loick and and all the stuff we were learning about how fast the bike could go and how great it could turn we really wanted to set this project up from the beginning so that that riders could have the adaptability to do that as well really tried to like make this bike so you know it's a great blank canvas for a rider and they can and they can tune it the way they want and that goes from like what brian was talking about on the shock side of things like we got the volume spaces right in the middle. If you want to go up or down, you can. If you want to, if you want to move the geo around, you can. And then it was the same thing with the wheel. We really saw some benefits to that, like with turning and and clearance, body clearance to the bike as well. For especially for for smaller riders in some cases. So bringing this link in was a was an important important part. So that that adaptability and and for for this bike was was something that we kind of looked at right right from the beginning.
0: Yeah, do you, and do you feel that it's a faster bike as a, as a mullet or is it just, is it different in certain ways?
1: Yeah, I personally don't think it's faster. I think, I think it, it's probably, it's a bit rider dependent. You know, you get, you get definitely different, uh, characteristics out of the, out of that smaller rear wheel and, and really just, just bringing in the choice for the riders, so just having that length and that option for the, for the folks that like it. It's, it's just, it's just what we wanted to, wanted to offer. Yeah.
0: Okay, you mentioned earlier the size range, so there's six different sizes, and you guys, I think you were again ahead of the curve on this one. You you've called it size specific
1: sizing, is that right? Yeah, we call or it uh, yeah, specific? sizing or or style specific sizing, really. Yeah. Style specific sizing, that's it.
0: Yeah, can you can you explain a little bit about like what you've done there, how it works, why you've gone that route? Because it's it's a bit different.
1: Yeah, this—I mean, this kind of started with with the downhill bikes, right? And and this is a this is another Brad Benedict gem, right? Like your your wheelbase on a downhill bike is really what you what you want to focus on for your size, not not necessarily where you can put your seat because you're not sitting on your seat on the downhill bike ever, and that that makes a lot of sense. And then really, as you start to think about geometry and the way things are going on, on trail bikes and enduro bikes. There's, there's a lot of rider preference in sizing. And, and we think that you shouldn't necessarily just be locked in by your leg length and your, your leg length is going to dictate your, your wheelbase, right? So the, the idea behind S-sizing is really just to give riders the choice. So we keep our head tubes relatively short and our C-tubes relatively short and everything grows in very um, even increments as you go through the size range. So, so like a rider like myself, I'm six feet tall. I can get my seat and my handlebars in the right spot on a S3, an S4, or an S5. And if I want a, you know, more stable bike at speed, I can move up to an S5. If I want the quickest turning bike, I can move down to an S3. And if you're, you know, if you're somewhere right in the middle, S4 is great. So it's really just about choice, the the terrain you like, the style you like to ride. So that that's really what we're what we're after with the S sizing
0: yeah and so as the the frame grows the front center's growing and then there's this this debate certainly some of the forums will uh will always bring this one up why aren't the chainstays growing with it and so some brands i think more and more brands seem to be doing that it's something you've chosen to do on on this new bike what um yeah what What kind of impact does that have? What are the benefits of growing the chainstay length as the front center is growing as well? Why did you decide to go do it? Because I'm guessing it's quite a lot of investment in molds and and that side of things.
2: Yeah, so increasing the the chainstay length, um, as the center of gravity of the rider goes up for a taller rider, uh, the weight distribution uh, naturally on an incline um, is more rearward Biased, which means you have more weight on the rear wheel for a taller rider. And the c tube angle uh, is adjusted to keep that cockpit length correct, but the height of, of the rider in itself um, shifts the weight towards the rear wheel. And if we didn't increase the, the chainstay length uh, while climbing, you're going to find that the, there's not going to be as much weight on the front wheel. So the front wheel is going to lift lift up and you're going to lose control in uh, technical terrain. So by increasing the, the chainstay length, even just 10 millimeters, we're able to shift a little bit of that weight more forward on the bike and maintain that stability while climbing. And um, also while descending, um, a, a long bike is, is stable. So it also uh, helps the rider in, in that case as well.
0: So you think that with brands that aren't, increase and change their length is that they've decided that those benefits aren't worth the investment in them in the molds and the extra engineering is that the trade-off
2: yeah I, I'd say so um, the, the the molds and the investment for us um, are are pretty small in comparison to the number of bikes uh, we sell and and also um, getting it right for the rider is is way more important than, than saving you know 10 or twenty thousand dollars on a mold so it's it's just not um it's, it's always worth it to open an extra mold i mean that's why we have six different front triangles that the, the si- s1 sizing um is totally unique as a custom kinematic which was is more more engineering work for sure it has a custom shock tune um it it, it is more more work up front for sure but when that rider gets on the bike and they're smiling because they can stand over it and they didn't think they were going to be able to ride a 29 29, um, trail bike there that satisfaction for us, knowing that we, we hit the nail on the head for them. Um, that's what we do. That's why we do this. I mean, it's, it, it's just, we're always stoked to see uh, happy riders.
0: Cool. Yeah. You guys have the volume, I guess, as well to, like you say, to offset some of that tooling costs, which maybe smaller brands struggle with.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is a daunting task, right? Like even, even the way we're executing it in in this bike, right? It's a, it's an extra carbon piece. It's, it's more testing. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it's a lot of work. So, um, it, it definitely varies by, you know, by your project, by your volume. Uh, so. Yeah there's always trade offs everything about you know making a making a bike a real product is is trade offs right
0: yeah definitely definitely and as well as kind of different uh, chainstay lengths i think you've also tuned the stiffness of all the different frame sizes to kind of
2: expected rider weights as well is that right yeah that's that is right we um we set out with a with a stiffness target for the S4 rider and then we, we down, down tune the stiffness so that it's a little bit more forgiving, uh, for the smaller rider. And we did this, um, up, up front initially before we did any, uh, CAD modeling or anything, we knew that we wanted to have, um, rider first stiffness. So up, up front when, as soon as we started designing the bikes, we got, um, involved with our, our, uh, analysis team, and, and they do the finite uh, uh, element analysis. And they're able to give us a su- suggested tube shape uh, before we even have CAD uh, and diameters and cross-section type shape. And working closely with uh, Will Chan, who is a carbon fiber, carbon fiber wizard, um, we were able to go into this uh, with, with some pretty good um, ideas about what we needed to do to tune this stiffness specifically for each rider and and that wasn't easy either i mean we want to try to hit a weight target on the s6 bike Um, we don't want to add extra carbon to make it stiffer so we increase the tube size and the cross section to to counteract um, that that stiffness or natural weight gain that would be from from just at throwing carbon at it so it was a lot of initial work doing that and testing too i mean the s the s1 bike in the test lab um was tricky to get through the test lab because it's a really small bike and to detune the the stiffness even though we have small tubes we also wanted a really light layup so um it's it's always tricky to to balance all of these every time we add uh an option for the rider every time we add a performance gain for the rider um, it adds complexity to the overall from beginning to end. And, and, and we do weigh, we do weigh these benefits and that's why we always go back to writer first and seek to understand like, like Steve does. And it's like, is this value added to the writer? Adding the extra work for us is no problem if it is value added to the writer. So that's always something that we were focused on and keep our eyes on the goal.
0: Yeah. And you, I think you did some work with Loic, did you on, um, on kind of rear end stiffness i'm sure i've seen uh, some bikes with some extra sort of what looked like tape on the rear ends but i think what probably wasn't
2: yeah we we've worked steve and i have both worked uh with Loic and the downhill team on demo and even even before that we we worked with them right when they came on um from lapierre so we've been close with them uh working close with them right from the beginning and and they, they, love, uh, they love to try different things. They are very eager to try something new or push the boundaries of something. So uh, a, quite a bit of my time throughout the years has been spent um, designing and making prototypes for them to ride and, and, and different fine-tuning different characteristics, whether it's uh, anti-rise or uh, stiffness or, or whatever it may be. Um, we put a lot of effort into that. So stiffness was was just one of one of the uh, learnings that we we took from demo. And we did. We overwrapped the, the aluminum chain stays um, with carbon to increase the stiffness, and we sent them to them. And of course they can tell it's different, everybody can tell it's different, uh, looks different. But getting their feedback on, on what's stiff, what's too stiff, what's not stiff enough, you know, we we even removed some stiffness by uh, you know, Kind of a <laughs> kind of an inside thing. I don't think anybody knows this, but we we've cut the chainstay bridge and taped over it, and which drops the stiffness quite a bit. And and they they can ride that and and try a really a really uh noodly bike, if you will, and see mm-hmm. and see what how they like that and what are what are the positives of that and what are the negatives. And and that all trickles into to our learning, um, and we're able to incorporate all of those learnings into. Our trail bikes, our downhill bikes, all, all of our bikes really capitalize on our, our athlete testing and, and feedback. Yeah, it really, and not, it, sorry, go on, Steve.
1: I was just gonna say it really does kind of trickle into, you know, the trail bikes and, and you know just your your everyday riders as well, right? Like when we started this project, our first size was S4. So we had the layup, you know, in in a good spot for that bike. And when we're starting to open the mold for S3, which is the size Chance our, our shock tuner rides. We hadn't had a, a, a dialed in S three layup yet, so the, the factory basically just took the S four layup and stuffed it into the S three tool, and that was the first bike he got. And the first time he rode the bike, he he came back complaining, thinking he was going to need to change something on his tune compared to the the alloy bikes we had ridden prior with the same kinematic, and all that was down to the the stiffness of the bike, and that just kind of shows how important it is, right? Like you put an S you know, or an S4 or large size layup into a S3 or medium size tool people are going to notice. It, it's, it's a big deal.
0: Do you, do you think this is a relatively new, uh, level of understanding of carbon fiber? Have people been tuning this kind of accurately and this much across size ranges
1: for very long? I mean, we've done it, we've done it for sure on, on a bunch of our composite bikes, but really like I think we're, we're, we're learning more every time, right. Every time you do it. And, and really this, this project is a cool example with the, with the tube shape scaling that the guys did. That's something that that's, that's new to this bike is, is from, from a mountain bike standpoint for us. So that, that part is pretty cool.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've got a, uh, I think too, to chime in on the road team has been doing this for, for a long time because they don't have suspension So it's a lot easier for road bikes to pick up on, on very subtle stiffness differences. And so, so we did, we have worked with the road team as well and they've um, they've really, really fine tuned the stiffness and and the racers have uh, their own custom layups a lot of times. And so, so we've also taken learnings from the other departments at specialized and have, have learned from them too on, on how to attack that. And that's where, uh, will will Chan, our composites, you know, guru, um, he's worked previously on road bikes. So he, he comes in from that perspective as well at, of the, the approach that just because you have six inches of flex in, in the vertical direction doesn't mean that the, um, the twist of the bike and the, the side deflections, um, aren't critical. So he really came into that with, with a, a different perspective than, than, maybe we've typically had. So that's helped a lot on this bike specifically.
0: Yeah, well, one of the unique kind of visual elements of this bike is the side arm chassis where you've got this tube running kind of almost parallel to the shock but only on one side of the frame. Is that there from a for a stiffness kind of reason? What's that
2: doing? It it is for a stiffness reason. The if you if you look at a bike um triangles it, if you've had any engineering experience, um, you'll you'll know that a triangle is is one of the best shapes. It's um, it gives all of us engineers the fizz when we when we see it made with triangles. It's just uh, we just love triangles. We that's what what we want to do. Bridges are made based on triangles. Um, pretty much everything. It's it's the uh, the coat hanger example. I think I have run Steve through this in the office, but it's a triangle. It's a super thin wire, but it can hang a pretty heavy coat. And and that's really really critical. And bikes are have always been made basically out of triangles. So having the front triangle uh, be one big triangle when you're adding loads at the seat tube with a link, and you're mounting a shock on the on the top tube um, to add another triangle. And that's what the the side arm does is it it breaks it up into more triangles. So <laughs> it just makes sense uh, from an engineering standpoint. Um, you can't have too many triangles, so <laughs> <laughs> it up really? in there, you know stiffening up that shock member, and it allows us to decrease uh, the amount of carbon, um, so uh-huh. we can save weight. The, the loads overall are lower in the in the top tube and c tube. Yes,
0: yeah, so is it more there from a, for a structural reason rather than for a kind of ride feel reason?
2: Yeah, I would say it's pretty it's pretty balanced. Uh, having having the side arm gives the bike um a, a really stiff uh vertical component so when, when you're when the bike uh goes through its travel the forces can be transferred into the shock uh instead of flexing the frame so it's it's a kind of a chassis stiffness it, it a lot of people think of stiffness as a sideways type stiffness or the, the rear end flexes in a turn but but this is a different type of stiffness it's a vertical stiffness and it allows. Uh, more of the shock loads uh, to be transferred more efficiently into the into the frame instead of flexing the frame. So that's definitely a stiffness ride performance gain. And also from a structures standpoint, it's easier to engineer a bike and test a bike and get it through testing and everything um, if you're able to counteract uh, loads in in kind of a straight um, way and connecting. Connecting members in, in a straight way instead of bending them is is always more efficient yeah okay
0: that makes sense
2: you you guys
0: have updated tire compounds as well for this bike is that right
1: yeah that is right so we've got some brand new brand new compounds across the board uh, our tread patterns and casings are staying the same but yeah we've got we've got two new compounds uh, t9 which is our highest grip compound and then t7 which is, you know, a, a bit, a bit grippier, but a bit, you know, more long wearing. So you'll see like the T seven, the T seven tires on the back end of the bike and the T nine tires on the front. So there, the tire team did a great job on these things are going to, you know, knob rebound and, and really trying to help, you know, smooth out the ride from the tire side as well. So it's something that incorporates nicely with, with the vibe of the bike that we have going on.
0: Yeah. Cause it's the tire is really part of the suspension system, isn't it? I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're if you're riding a tire with a hard compound, uh, it was something that we were we were honestly even noticing in testing on this on this bike early on. Depending on your tire compound, it it was really giving us some different inputs on the trail and it, it is pretty apparent. So, having these nice soft tires on this on this bike really complements the complements what we're going going after with the with the bike as well.
0: Yeah. So You've you've worked your way through the the development process. You've done a lot of upfront kind of ride testing yourselves. You mentioned earlier that that more people get to swing a leg over the bike as you progress through the project. What does that look like? How, who are you bringing on board, and and what kind of testing are you doing, kind of towards the end of the project while you're making sure that you're happy with everything?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that a lot of that process is what we call field testing, and and that's really to to validate the the final design to make sure that we're not missing anything from a, from a rider standpoint, as you, as you're going to ride this bike uh, longer and longer, obviously those, those riders are going to have feedback on, on the, you know, the intent, the design intent of the bike and how it rides as well. But really the main focus is looking at, you know, is this thing going to hold up right over time? And, and we have a really nice trusted network of, of riders that, that get out and get after it and can put in a ton of hours on these things and, and varied conditions, right? Like we don't want to just test our bikes in California because it never rains in California. So we we got to get it, to, you know, we got to get it to you know our our friends up in up in BC and out um, in Colorado and and Oregon and you know in Europe as well. So we have a we have a really good wide net that we we can get these bikes out to and get a ton of hours on before they before they make it into production.
0: Yeah. Okay. So from an engineering perspective, then Brian, what was your I guess, biggest challenge or biggest problem on this project?
2: Yeah, I think probably the the biggest challenge because we wanted to get it right is the the head tube adjust. It's, it's something that we've um, talked about and wanted to incorporate into our bikes for a long time. Um, But it's always gone, gone from the perspective of, of the uh, Preston style head tube angle adjust cups um, that we've seen for years. And, I didn't want this to be, I didn't want this to add complexity to the writer. I didn't want this to, to be a heavy part. It, it should look like it's integrated. It should be clean. Uh, if you don't need it, you shouldn't even know it's there. And um, that was a, a big task because we had a, a wide range of head tube heights. And at first, the, the first prototype that we made um, actually required a different headset cup piece for each frame size. So we had, we had uh, six different adjustable cups that would change it plus or minus one degree. Um, and and then, you know, that, that wasn't going to work It's going to be confusing for shops, shops to have to remember which cup goes in which frame size. Uh, so that I really, really pushed and spent quite a bit of time, um, Designing this part so that it's the same cup and it's allowed to gimbal around a spherical contact surface and it can it can Make up for the differences between the head tube heights um, So that you have there's only two upper cups uh, a nominal cup That's a that puts a head head tube angle at sixty four five on all the bikes and then there's the plus or minus roughly one degree cup uh, for each frame size so and then just one one lower cup that works across the board so it we really simplified it by by challenging ourselves and not not just accepting the first the first prototype and the first design uh, we just kept pushing until it was refined enough to uh to be simple and clean and integrated so that, that was probably the the hardest the hardest thing to to tackle and just because it's new you know it's not something we've ever done before
1: yeah, Brian, Brian went next level on this thing. Like even to the point where we took down we took down a tool from the prior gen stump jumper, carbon, and incorporated what he wanted to do with the head tube of the new bike into the into the old bike so that we could get on these things early and, and start playing around with them and riding them. So we've been riding these bikes we've been riding bikes with this head tube adjust for also almost for almost two years at this point. So super cool the to see how, how in depth he got with this.
0: Yeah. And it's another thing that could potentially go wrong, I guess. So you want to make sure that it's robust. Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah, absolutely. This is like, this is like, we were talking earlier about Brian's, uh, whiteboarding skills. Like this is one of those ones where we would sit down, you know, for, for hours and he's got the, he's got the whiteboard covered with marker showing me all these, you know, different, different ideas and different sketches he's got for how we're going to attack the cups. And yeah, it's a, it's, it was a really, really cool thing to see him tackle and and, and solve
0: <laughs> cool. how and how do you actually change the, the angle then is it fairly straightforward
1: it's super simple which is I, I think part of the beauty of the system that, that he designed is the the bike uses a bone stock headset and it doesn't require any special tools uh, the the bottom cup that he designed just stays in the bike at all times and it's as simple as popping your stem up and, and really just f- flipping the flipping the cup around and it's just like a racetrack shape in your head tube. And you can just, you can swap it super easily and yeah, you can go. No special nice. tools or anything like that. So yeah, simple and elegant.
0: Cool. And from your side of things then Steve, what's, what's, uh, what are you kind of most proud of with this bike?
1: Well, I think, I, I mean, I think it's, it's really the, it's really the whole package. I think the team did such a, a, a great job making a, making a trail bike that you could ride, you know, all day, if you wanted to, but could also like handle the bike park or handle like the most, you know, like technical trail you'd want to throw at it. I think, in a, in a lot of ways, you know, they're just like bringing in the the kinematics of the the demo and the enduro were really cool. Keeping it light was super cool. Like the whole deal, uh, yeah. I'm just I'm really really pleased with with how the the team the team executed on it. It's it's I think like one of the first bikes I saw when I started working at Specialized was the the first Enduro 29. And I thought that bike was insane when, you know, like eight years ago, seeing that thing, uh, walking into the specialized office. And, uh, I think in a lot of ways, this bike is really like, that was kind of like a guide of, of ours for this bike, right? Like you can, you can pedal it. It can be your only bike and it, it can really just handle business as well. So yeah, just super pleased with the whole package.
0: Awesome. And what's the reaction been like then so far from, uh, from the people that have had the chance to ride it?
1: yeah i mean uh we've gotten a we've gotten a ton of good feedback from from the media um that have have gotten a a leg over it so far which has been great and then yeah our internal test riders have been have been been super keen on it as well so um yeah we're, we're really really pumped for for it to come out here next week so yeah it's gonna be great
0: good stuff all right if people want to find out a bit more about the bike then where's the best place for them to head
1: yeah. Specialized.com. It'll be, it'll be live on Tuesday and uh, you can check it out there and find all, all the details and more. Fantastic.
0: And before, uh, before we let you guys go, I'm interested. Uh, a lot of people that listen to this podcast quite often will will, will dream about or want to get a job in the bike industry. What advice would you guys personally give to someone uh, who, who wants to get into the industry and, and maybe specifically wants to work for specialized?
1: I think yeah, working at a bike shop is, is is the is the entryway right uh, that's where you're going to learn the, the most and, and give yourself the, be- the best chance to be successful on the industry side that's that's how i came up just always working in bike shops and, and just grinding and then yeah just just doing whatever you can to get your foot in the door on the industry side after you have that experience and and working super hard is is really is really the path i took and uh, was successful in that way
2: okay what about you brian yeah, I, I'd, I'd have to say, um, looking, looking back when, when I was uh, a young guy and I worked at a bike shop when I was 14 and a half, um, I was a shop rat. I just go in there every day. And finally they put a broom in my hand and said, start sweeping the floor as a kid. So that's familiar. Yeah. So for me, that was, um, that was definitely the, the entry point for me to get into the start in the industry. And, um, the more I did at a bike shop, the more I loved cycling and I loved, uh, bikes and bike designs. And back then we sold specialized and I saw all of the, the tricky parts that were engineered and designed and just loved it. So naturally I worked at the shop through high school. And when it came time to go to college, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to get an engineering degree and design bikes. So from early on, that was my my drive uh, through school and everything. So so working a shop critical, and also I think one of the big the single biggest things that I've done uh, in college that that helped me, you know, get a job at specialized is is designing something I'm passionate about, which was that that Rob Tech bike that I talked about, and and that really uh, got me in the door is just making making what you're doing um, relevant to where you want to go and and if you're if you're not in the industry and you want to get into the industry um make your hobbies relevant to to what you want to do and and just focus your energies on on where you want to be and 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 make it happen and that's what happened with me i made that bike it was a lot of work and i was right racing it at uh, sea otter classic and i rolled up to the specialized booth and Robert Egger was uh, standing there. He's uh, head of design uh, at Specialized, and, and he saw it, and we started chatting. And uh, at the time, I didn't really know who he was, uh, but he was asking questions about it and said, it looks great and, and, and great job. And then and then he went away, and um, Todd came over, Cantonelli came over and said, um, hey, do you know who that is? And, you know, I'm a college kid. I said, no. And he's like, he, he's head of design at Specialized his email is, is right here and gave me his email and I emailed him and said, uh, yeah, I want to work at specialized. And, uh, and I went through the interviews and got the job. So it's, it's, you, you can, you can get great grades. You can, uh, check all the boxes from an academic standpoint or, or from, uh, you know, whatever you're doing, but what really matters is that, is that what you create, what you do, where your passion is, that, that will definitely land you a spot
0: that's specialized. Nice. That's an awesome story and a, and a great place to end. So yeah, thanks both of you guys for your time. It's been, been super interesting uh, chatting and find out more about the bike There's a huge amount of, uh, of awesome engineering work that's gone into that. So yeah, I'm excited to see, see it out there and, uh, and see some of the reviews over the next couple of weeks as, uh, as the release happens.
1: Thanks Perfect. a lot. A yeah. Thanks for having us. one. Awesome. Cheers guys. Cheers. Take it easy.
0: All right, that's it for this episode with Stephen Bryant. I hope you've enjoyed listening and finding out more about the Stumpjumper Evo. A massive thanks to Crankbrothers for supporting my clip-in pedal experiment and this episode of the show. If you want a chance to win your choice of Crankbrothers clip-in pedals and an M20 multi-tool to install them, then just head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash crankbrothers now, and that will take you to the Crankbrothers entry form. You've got until the end of October to enter. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then grab yourself a t-shirt or one of our brand new sweatshirts or hoodies by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Keep warm, look good and help support the podcast at the same time. What's not to love? As always, the podcast lives on because you lot are listening and spreading the word. So please keep on doing what you're doing. Tell your rider mates, share the episodes on your social media, forward the newsletter to people who you think will enjoy it. Thanks to everyone who supports the show and what I'm doing here. I massively appreciate it. All right. We've got another awesome episode coming up soon, but until then get out and ride.